Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Tim, and I approve of this message. And I hope you're going to approve, too. After all, we're in the middle of a crazy pandemic, aren't we? And we're all separated. We're all, uh, as they say, we're alone together. It's kind of an interesting time. And I got a picture for you as we begin our time together. I want you to take a look at uh, on, on the screen here today. And it's uh, something I wonder if you can remember experiencing in your life. It's a crowded elevator. And, you know, crowded elevators are really unusual places, aren't they? I mean, oftentimes we're packed into these things, or I should say we were packed into these things in a previous life, it seems. And nobody talks to one another. No one's looking at one another. And everybody's staring at the floor in which uh, the, the light indicators, where they're going to step off. And in fact, if two people are in a conversation, kind of immersed together, and they enter into one of these uh, elevators, they suddenly cease talking. And years ago, I was with a group of pastors. We had attended this meeting. We were in this large building. Uh, we were somewhere up in, in the building, and we needed to get on an elevator to... Uh, to exit and we waited and we waited every time the doors open it was packed people were like packed in like sardines and we thought we'd never get out of this place some of us had places we needed to be and so this one time the doors open and it looked like there was some extra space in there and we got that look from the people in there hey you guys aren't going to try to squeeze into this thing are you and we said yes we are and we came right into there uh, but by the time the door shut behind, the last person to squeeze on couldn't even turn around. And just to break the awkwardness of the moment, he says, you're probably wondering why I called this meeting. And everybody kind of chuckled about that, but it opened up conversation and we could relate to one another. And you know, in many respects, the elevator is a microcosm. Is it not of our world? I mean, it's a large, impersonal institution where anonymity, isolation, independence are really the uniform of the day. And now factor in these, these masks that we have to wear. And I can tell you, when you're on an elevator these days, you're all by yourself. I came back from the Carolinas here a couple of weeks ago, just needed a few days of R&R, &R, and I stayed in a place that had multiple elevators. And you wait until you're the only one on the elevator these days, friends. Let me tell you, this is why we're beginning a new sermon series today called it's all about relationship it's all about relationship you know we are all surrounded by a web of relationships some are shallow others are deep but it's all about relationship uh, you know they have an impact upon our lives and I've been told many a time a year ago years ago that you know life is essentially about relationship it's relating to your parents relating to your siblings, to your family, to your extended family. It's all about relating to your neighbors, your co-workers, your acquaintances, and even yourself, and especially relating to God. And so in this series, we're going to focus some on the importance of relationships. And they play an important part in shaping our identity, in shaping our well-being, in really impacting our happiness. And of course, we're living in a time where our relationships are strained, where we find ourselves kind of stressed. We're frayed at the edges, living with the people that we love, but 
in, in such an awkward type of way, never being able to escape our huts and uh, escape our homes. But you know what? I believe that God desires our relationships to be restored. God desires our relationships to recover. And God is a reconciling God. And that's why I believe that it's important for us to really spend a few minutes today on how God can restore our relationships, how God can help our relationships to be all that they can become and, and all that they should be. Uh, we've shared this classic text with you out of the Bible here from 1 Corinthians 13. If you've been to a wedding any time in your life, probably nine times out of ten, you're going to hear this chapter. Sometimes it's referred to as the love chapter. But here it's no doubt that as you read these words that Paul shared, the reason it's called the, the love chapter is the lifestyle of love is described here in 16 different characteristics. Now we don't have time to cover all of these, but I want to zero in on a single verse for us today. And in fact, in verse 8, you'll notice that Paul just kind of summing up here by saying, love never fails. Love never fails. And you want to be successful in life. You want your life blessed with great relationships. Uh, you want to use your time wisely. You need to know what the Bible here says about love. Love never fails. You're never a failure in life if you love others. But what's love? Love is probably the most abused, it's probably the most misconstrued, it's probably the most overused, misunderstood word in all the English language. We have love songs, we have love poems, we have love stories. Oftentimes they're not love stories, but they're lust stories. And, uh, you know, we use this word love in so many different ways. We say, I love hot dogs and I love America. At the same time, we say, I love my wife or I, I love my son, or my daughter, uh, I love pizza and popcorn. We use the word in so many different ways, in so many different circumstances and contexts. And this morning, I want us to zero in, if you will, on this single verse that we find here in what Paul is telling us in verse 7. He gives us really four distinct definitions of love, and it tells us four ways to treat others. And I want to say to you today, if you begin to implement what Paul is saying here, it can revolutionize your relationships. It can bring reconciliation. It, it can bring uh, the strain that you feel right now into really transformation where you're relating in that spirit of love with the people that you know and love. And here Paul says, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, and love perseveres. Now the first thing that we take away from this text, this first phrase here, is love protects people's worth. Love protects people's worth. Or as one translation says, love puts up with all things. Now the word in the Greek here means to cover as with a roof. Now, think of that. A house without a roof isn't much of a shelter. I mean, look at this picture. I mean, how many of you would buy a house like this that didn't have a roof? We've had some storms and rain in the area, not to mention the heat beating down upon us. And, and I venture to say not many of you would want to go through a week, especially here in this Ohio Valley, without a, a roof over your head. And the Bible says love is like a roof. It covers. And self-esteem, as you know, is a very fragile thing. 
We can hurt people's feelings all the time. Others can say something, maybe even unintentionally, and it hurts your feelings. But here the Bible says that love covers. Now, how can you protect someone's uh, worth? How can you do that? You can minimize, Paul says, the hurt by not emphasizing their mistakes, uh, not emphasizing when they blow it, uh, but understanding their faults. You know, in 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, love covers a multitude of sin. And you can protect people by refusing to gossip, by refusing to slander people, not talking about people, even your friends or your family behind their back. You know, somebody said that Christians don't gossip, they just share prayer requests. I hope you don't do that. I hope you're really engaged in prayer for one another. But a friend is somebody who doesn't rub it in, but they rub it out. Uh, they don't broadcast your faults. The proverb says this in Proverbs 17 and 9. It says, he who covers an offense offers love, but he who repeats a matter separates even the closest of friends. When you're spreading things about someone when you're not covering someone and protecting someone's dignity and when you're sharing other things the mistakes you're driving a wedge between those you love we love it seems to get the dirt on people and i don't know about you but in this election cycle sometimes it's just so uncomfortable when we see one person tearing down another person but yet it seems like we're numb to this kind of thing and we all appreciate scandals. Do you know I'm told the number one magazine for many years in our country was not Time, not Newsweek, not even Sports Illustrated, but no, it was a tabloid, this National Enquirer. Because people love to get the dirt on other people. They, they love scandals. It takes their attention off their own faults and their own failures and it puts the spotlight on these other horrendous things that are going on in the lives of other people. And somehow it seems to make us feel better. But I got to tell you, love, Paul says, hates scandals. And love overlooks a fault. And love doesn't like to expose someone else's mess. And so it always protects. And I hope today in the middle of this pandemic, with those that you are around and, and those that you love, that you are looking out for their best interests. A second thing here that Paul says to us is that love trusts people's intentions. It says, love always trusts. Now, there are three types of people in the world, aren't there? First of all, there are people who are exceptionally gullible. And I mean, they never question anything. They're just trust anybody and then there's another type of person that is really cynical and they trust absolutely nobody but there's a third type of person that they love people and they give them the benefit of the doubt there was an article in the psychology today magazine a few years ago that talked about trust and it was entitled something like trust and its consequences and in that article it said that people who trust are actually less gullible and happier than the rest of the general population and so I got to ask you today how do you trust people well one way you can trust people is to give them a second chance now I want you to notice this picture that's up there how many of you Bengal fans have joined me in these terrible moments where we're about ready to score a touchdown? We've been ready to win the game, even a divisional title, and somebody drops the ball. And, uh, you know, you end up losing the game. But, you know, a way that you can really help people is to give them a second chance. I played a lot of ball in my life uh, in uh, younger days, and... Uh, 
you know, I enjoyed baseball, and I had two types of coaches. I had one type of coach that wanted to cuss you out, wanted to tell you how bad you were for dropping the ball or, or missing the play or not backing up the, the shortstop. And then I had another type of coach that gave me some positive, constructive-type criticism that told me what I did wrong and how I could do better and said, now get back in there and try again. And I excelled in those types of environments. You build confidence in people by giving them a second chance. You know, love protects people's worth. And love trusts people's intentions when they say, I want to try again. You give them that benefit of the doubt and you help them. And I wonder today, how are you trusting those around you? Who do you need to give a second chance to today? People, if you notice, blossom, do they not, under trust? They open up. It kind of is liberating for them, and it gives them that, that, uh, that thrust that they need to excel and overcome and do better. And you can accomplish almost anything if someone believes in you. People need protection in their relationships, and they need trust in their relationships. And protection without trust equals smothering. And Paul says here that as part of our relationships, love protects people's worth, love trusts people's intentions, and a third thing it indicates to us here is love always hopes. Love always hopes. In fact, the Living Bible says love always expects the best. The fact of the matter is people have a tendency to fulfill what they think that we think they are. I mean, we set people up for success or failure simply by our expectation. I mean, think about it. It's like the mom who says to their child, honey, you're a sloppy person. You will never be neat. And the child just wants to say, well, I'll never be neat. Well, watch me, mom. See how messy I can be. We've all heard these kinds of stories. You'll never amount to anything. Or you couldn't do it even if you tried. We cringe at those kinds of things when people speak that to a child. And I know there's the occasional person out there that have overcome those kinds of statements, that kind of belittling comment in their life, and they've been able to overcome it. But by and large, we set people up. We lowered the bar. We set expectations low. But here Paul tells us that love expects the best. And the question I have for you this morning is who are you pre-programming in your life? What bar have you set so low for someone? How have you treated someone in such a way that you've set them up not for success, but for failure. You know, you could sum this up in a single sentence here by Paul saying, love is treating people the way you want them to become. Now, let's face it, nagging doesn't work. I mean, does it work for anybody out there? Nagging doesn't work. People say, I just tell it like it is, but don't tell it like it is. Tell it like, like it could be. Visualize the potential in other people. And Jesus recognized this. I mean, you don't change a bad person into a good person by telling them how bad they are. And Jesus knew this. And the classic example of this is one of the disciples we know as Peter. Peter, he's the classic example of this. He was probably the most impulsive person out of all of the disciples. He was always vacillating. He was wishy-washy. He, he was always going back and forth. And Jesus looked at Peter one time and he said, you are a rock, Peter. And you're going to be an example of great stability in a rapidly changing world. You're going to be right at the foundation of the kingdom. 
And was Peter a rock? No, he wasn't even a pebble. But Jesus saw what could become out of his life. And he said, this is what you can be. You know what? Love protects people. Love trusts people. And love always hope. And then I want to say to you this last thing that Paul kind of describes love being here. He says, love endures people's hurt. You know, the fact is, you can live in this world, but you can't do it without people. You're going to have people all around you, even right now in this pandemic, where we're all kind of physical distancing or social distancing from one another. But the reality is, we still interact and we still need one another. And if you are going to be around people anytime at all, you're bound to get hurt, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And love endures the hurt. Love perseveres through it, is what Paul is telling us here. It consistently is there with us, even when people are inconsistent. It is faithful, even when people are unfaithful. It perseveres. And what is endurance? It's not merely hanging on by a thread. Perseverance is growing under pressure. It's yielding stick-to-itiveness. It's yielding the staying power. Pow power. It gives you the ability to keep on keeping on. And so many people today are fearful of commitment, are they not? So many people will wait until the very last minute before they ever commit to going to an event or going to church or lots of people today won't, won't commit to a relationship, to a marriage, or they won't even commit to God. And the fact is that uncommitted love isn't worth much, is it? Love is commitment, and it endures, and it doesn't give up on people. And you know, the interesting thing I find about these four characteristics that, that, that Paul gives to us here is it's exactly what God does. God never asks you to do for others what he hasn't done for you. Think about it. What Paul has said here is that God protects and God trusts and God hopes for us, and God is going to love us no matter what we do. Now, you probably have woke up in the morning, and you've seen this picture of an update that is needed. You know, there are really differences here between a software update and a software upgrade. And you know, these software updates are free. They come to us all the time on our phones, on our tablets, and it says it's time to update. And uh, it includes bug fixes, it includes little repair jobs and improvements to make the software work better. But an upgrade generally costs money, and it involves moving to a new version and learning things all over again. And, you know, in a committed relationship, the key is to update regularly, is it not? It's to always be in that constant position of communication, resolving conflicts, loving the other person, and updating with the other person on a continual basis. And most of all, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13, he's linking love to faith and hope and putting your partner's needs above your own needs putting your friends there at the forefront, their needs, their concerns, their worries. 
You know, unlike the world of computers, friends, I want to say to you that when it comes to love, as long as you keep updating, you'll not need to upgrade. As long as you keep communicating, employing these practices here that Paul teaches us to employ, to live out real love in our lives, you will be blessed. You'll find harmony in your relationship. So I want to pray for you today. I want to just especially lift up these relationships that we have in these next few weeks together as we talk about relationship, as we talk about uh, these wonderful friends that we have, our families that we cherish, the people in our lives that we treasure that are getting us through. And, and yes, these are challenging times. It's plenty of room for misunderstanding, miscommunicating. We don't see the nonverbal communication cues that we have seen in the past. And we wonder and we think about, we ponder how it is with other people. And it's especially a day when our relationships are pinched and strained and stressed. And so I want to pray for you today. And I want you to reread 1 Corinthians 13. My challenge for you is to really implement this verse that Paul gives to us these four things that Paul says here to do, to love, it protects other people, it trusts other people, it involves hoping for the best and enduring through whatever may come thick and thin. So let's pray together. Oh, holy God, we thank you today for one another. And we know, especially in this day in which we find ourselves, how much we need each other. We find it so challenging, even those of us who are introverts. We know how awkward it is today to, to be alone in this world, even more so, how it's so accentuated, how it, it feels so, uh, so much pressure about uh, things around us where we can't connect and, and we're not sure what's going on. And so, Lord, we just pray right now for relationships. We know there are some joining us today that find some strain in the relationship. God, we're praying for marriages today. We know that this is a, a trying time. We know people have lost their jobs, and we know there's stress over financial concerns right now. And Lord, we just pray for those that are struggling. We pray, oh God, that your love would just be experienced in those relationships. We pray, Lord, for those who have a relationship right now that's broken. And we know that you want to restore that relationship for you are a God of reconciliation. So we pray for one another today. We pray for love to prevail. We pray for your strength, for your hope and your trust just to permeate the souls of your people today. Strengthen us and help us, O oh God, in this season in which we find ourselves. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.